podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Serie Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. Ciao tutti and welcome to I wanted to say the first episode of the Serie A Chronicles podcast, but it's the second one because we obviously had a preview episode. I'm Mina Rizuki and I'll be your host for today. And as always, I am joined by the wonderful Nikki Bandini, who I'm trying really hard to smile and giggle at, but I listened to a podcast she did like a few days ago. And I'm slightly angry with you, Nikki. What did I do? Did I say something well, nice about Dabala? <laughs> 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 yeah, like that. That's going to make me really angry with you, Jane. Did I, did I no. say, did I say that Juventus were better with Pjanic? Is that what I did? You don't honestly think I that, do you? <laughs> no, somebody asked you about Juventus possibly winning, and you just said, oh, good luck with that. That was your honest <laughs> answer. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? Why, why good luck with that? And then you said, oh, Roma are my dark horses. So now you think Roma has more of a chance of winning the title over Juventus? I think what I said was, because I was put on the spot and I was not ready for the question. They said, who do you think will finish higher between Roma and Juventus? I, I think what I said was, on balance, I think that Juventus are more likely to finish ahead because I think that if you're asking me which team is more likely to finish in the top four, it's definitely Juventus. Like I think Juventus will 100% be in the top four, whereas I could imagine Roma missing it still. But then if I have to ask who I think is more likely to win the league, I, I weirdly think I do believe in Roma more than Juventus. I don't see this Juventus team as a league winning team. I don't think the Roma are anywhere near the favourites for the league. To be clear, my favourites to win the league are Inter and Milan, 100%. And this first weekend hasn't changed that yet. Juventus haven't played yet, Mina. We're recording on Monday, so I haven't got any evidence to hold on to of Juventus. Uh-huh. I'm just really dubious with Juventus. I, I'm not convinced they've changed enough. Um, and last season, they were bad. And that midfield is was dismal. And bad. maybe it'll be better, but... Hmm. Hmm, Did you see Mina. that meme about Rabiot with Fred and McTominay would be... McCredian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mina. Oh. It took every part of me to not laugh, but I felt really sorry for Rabio. I was like, honey, you should stay with us. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's an Italian thing to do as well as like make the portmanteaus. And like, this was like my one tweet for like the whole summer. I don't, I'm not on Twitter very much anymore, but well, I'm on there a lot, but I don't tweet very much. And I, um, I had a moment just in the middle of summer holidays. I was like, if Dybala joins Juventus and it's Dukaku, and Lautaro and Dybala, we could call Inter. them, uh, sorry, Inter, yeah, sorry, Inter, Lukaku and Lautaro and Dybala, we could call them Lulala, which I just loved so much. And now I'm sad it didn't happen. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to all our listeners that this is the tangent I've gone off on. There's so much to talk about because it was, unfortunately, Napoli and Juventus haven't played. So actually, it's less to talk about. But of course, there were some really exciting matches with Milan and Inter and Roma that everyone has been dying to watch. And some really other interesting games like Fiorentina against Cremonese and little, little Radu. Gosh. Oh, God. What a horrible thing to continue to happen to him. All right, Nikki, let's 
kick off. And obviously, I think we should start with the champions just because they are indeed the champions and showed us that yet again with their 4-2 victory over Udinese. Now, it had been three consecutive 1-1 one, one, uh, scoreline between these two teams. And uh, finally, Milan delivered the blow. It started off really badly, though, uh, with them conceding, but they were back to their aggressive best. They're back to playing like a little orchestra that takes defensive risks, but my God, is stunning going forward. Brahim Diaz, I want to start there. I mean, man of the match, played a role in all four games, I'm sorry, in all four goals. And as somebody who really suffered in the second half of last season, and a lot of us had question marks, you know, whether or not he's really cut out for this. Real Madrid had question marks as well about his development. And then he he produces this astonishing performance. And there's a part of me that thinks, well done to Pioli, because you trusted, you know, a lot of those players, you didn't just rely on the new shiny toys that you bought in. It was like, all right, I trust Rebic, I trust Brahim Diaz, I trust Ben Asser at this point, you know, with Krunic, who I thought was really, really good, um, even though he got some slack on Twitter, I don't know why. And uh, Milan sealed the deal. I mean, I don't know, after this match, I was like, maybe Milan should be the favourites. I mean, we'll get to Inter. I certainly thought Milan were more convincing than Inter on the opening weekend. Um, as you already mentioned, Udinese has not been an easy um, opponent for Milan the last few years. Last season, they didn't beat them once. So you could already say they're ahead of where they were last season in terms of um, identical opponents. Do you think it's a slightly silly way to look at it? But I know people have been doing that. I, I, I think you you definitely sort of um, picked out someone really important in Brahim Diaz. Uh, he was such a sort of he was he was his irrepressible best in that second half, wasn't he? And and the 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 assist for the the last goal in particular, that little sort of like steal the ball, the quick footwork to get the ball out from under his own feet and put it in a position where he could use it, then not making the defender with that ball across the yeah. the, the six yard box. That's what we like. That's that's the, the Brian Diaz that, that I think purely would like more of. And I, I think also like Ante Rebic. Now there's kind of two sort two sides to this with Rebic because Rebic was a hundred percent at fault on Bacau's opening goal in the second minute, which of course the first goal of the whole City A season. Rebic should be tracking him at, at the near post and doesn't. But Ante Rebic in this game alone scored as many goals as he did in all of last season. And on, on the preview um, podcast, Mina, like you were. I think you you mentioned him because I was saying my worry for Milan is okay, but if Giroud doesn't score as many goals who's as he there? did last season. He is getting older. Like who's picking up the sack? And Rebic at centre forward, Rebic at number nine is part of the idea, isn't it? Like it is part of it. Of course, we did also see Divock Origi come off the bench in this game and and he's part of that, that solution as well. But I think I think from from Milan's point of view there, the whole the whole occasion is really encouraging because yes, defending wasn't great. There's some rust there. I think you expect a bit of rust. You're just back from from the summer and everyone's going to be a little bit, you know, sort of not quite as they should be. Also, Rodrigo Bacal, who has scored two other goals in his entire career, always scores <laughs> against Milan. He scored three times against Milan, two times against everybody else. But I think that more important than the goals they conceded is just how they responded to them and the fact that, yes, Frank Kessier has left this team. Uh, Sandra Tonali was not available to start this game and you didn't exactly as Mina said throw Ketela straight in there you didn't throw Origi straight in there you said okay I trust this squad that we had last season it's a young squad I trust the group let's show growth continuously and then integrate these new elements as we go and I think that was really really positive for Milan and 
yes, look, it's it's a home game against a team that you're going to finish above. So in some ways you expect to win it. But Udine said, again, took four points off them last season. So really nice result. It was interesting because obviously I love um, listening to everything Marco Giampaolo says, just so I can laugh about it afterwards. And, um, <laughs> and um, I, Just to fuel the fire, Mina loves to listen to, to him. Just to fuel the fire. The good old Sampdoria's coach. Um, and he was, I actually felt a little bit sorry for him because he said he had prepared the game so well and he thought he had and it was unfortunate that they couldn't win their first match. And then I compared that to Milan and I just think they always... Every time Pioli has a, a, a significant portion of time to just really dedicate to this team, they come out guns blazing with confidence and, and brilliance and aggression and desire. And they do go on these massive runs. And, and I think it's, it's like if I was to actually predict, I feel like Juventus would have a slow start. Milan will just torpedo everything from the start and then sort of maybe start erring at the start of the latter half of the season. Somewhere along the line, Inter will pick up a thousand points from November to January and then fall off and, <laughs> and have some problems. And I just remember just how much when Milan can really concentrate on just, you know, coaching and, and bringing this team together, how good they can be and how effective they are and how much they move as an orchestra, especially when you compare that sometimes to the other teams in Serie A that do somewhat rely on individuals' strengths and talents. You can see the individual brilliance there. You can see what Brahim Diaz does, what Leao does, what what Benacer is so intelligent in doing with cleaning up the balls and, and recycling possession and delivering perfect passes. But it really is about how they all come together and play as a unit that I think is so impressive about Milan. Defensive inattention, I think, is something that's going to happen at the start of the season. I think what we see for the first three weeks is more about how good your attack is because you just know there are mm. just going to be some mad goals being conceded. But Right. Also, because we know we like Kalula, we know we like Tomori, we know we like Mike Mannion, right? So you already know you like a lot of that defense. It's not like you think that's not going to work together all of a sudden. Yeah, and so you feel that... but. You look at this team and then you, you think that they can win the Scudetto, but how far do you think that they have grown in terms of actually challenging for the Champions League is, is really a question that, I mean, do you see the side? I mean, I know it's the first game, but do you think they're growing enough to head in that direction or are they just fortifying themselves for Serie A? I'm excited to find out is the honest answer. Like, I, I don't know. Like, in, in terms of squad... The squad hasn't been sort of massively upgraded, right? And this was mm. sort of an interesting thing, actually, from my Guardian um, Serie A preview that I wrote. Like, I got someone in the comments who was a bit unhappy that I hadn't put more more words on Milan, saying, you know, they're the champions, why not words on Milan? I said, well, I, I actually agree with you to some extent. Maybe I should have given more words on them. On the other hand, part of what you're doing in a preview is trying to update readers on everything that's changed. And the truth is, just compared to some other teams, not that much has changed at Milan. They've, they've said goodbye to Kessier. They've brought in um, a, a few players, and 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 there's definitely some capacity for for evolution. But really, the the only really sort of big sort of headline name is De Kettler, and even De Kettler is not an established superstar yet, is he? He's someone with a lot of potential. And I thought that the, the little window we saw of him in this game was really exciting. I, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. But it, it's, it has been a quiet summer, and I think what you're putting your faith in is well, Milan won Serie A with something like, I don't know, the fourth or or maybe even the third youngest team in all of Serie A last season, why shouldn't they continue to get better? And, and I believe they will because I like Pioli, same as you. Yeah, I think also that this is something we talked a lot about at those 
last few weeks of the last Serie A season was the fact that they were being bought out by other investors. And we thought that, you know, that meant with Redbird coming in and an interest from mm. InvestCorp that there was going to be a lot of money invested into the squad to perhaps raise it to the level that could actually compete in Europe. And I look at this team and I think their tactics are good enough to get them so far, just because even, you know, them arriving um, for the second half of the game and being prepared from the get-go before Udinese had even arrived on the pitch, they were like, okay, we're here. We're going to win this match. We're so determined. And then it's interesting because they always deal with the situation very quickly. You know, they're behind or they're drawing. They just want to get the goals. They want to get it done and dusted and they want it to be over. The same... I'm not sure can be said of Inter. Now, this was a very interesting match because obviously they were up against a newly promoted side, Lecce, and uh, they were playing away from home. Lecce is obviously the team that Romelu Lukaku had scored his initial goal um, in his debut for Inter, and he was back to scoring against them in, what, the 82nd minute? Um, What, first touch, I think, was it? Second, not minute. Yeah, it, oh, sorry, 82nd, sorry, you're right. And so it was the second <laughs> minute, not the not the 82nd minute. So you're right about that. And flying start, wonderful. And, you know, and I felt a little bit sorry for the two buses that couldn't take all those uh, Inter fans to watch their team in Lecce. But it was what it was. And then all of a sudden, you just kind of felt like Inter were like, okay, job done. Let's just take a step back. And but disappointing then. Did yeah? you? Did you see the video, I mean, this is a tangent from the serious conversation, but did you see the video that Inter shared on their like main Twitter feed, which I thought was a bit mean, but also <laughs> made me laugh a bit of, of there was like a, a, what looked like a boyfriend and girlfriend or husband and wife, like it wasn't, you know, you can't know because you can't go and ask them, but they were sort of sat together, this couple, and they just sort of had their reactions. So when Lecce scored and he's getting all excited and she's like, sort of like she looks like annoyed but she's being playful with it she's the Inter fan he's the Lecce fan and then when Inter's goal goes in at the end he is just thunder and she's trying to sort of joke about it and he's like does not look like he's ready to joke about it which I understand because you know what Lecce within seconds of getting a point off Inter probably was quite hard to take having that late goal go in but it was a very funny video and slightly slightly mean to share on the main club social account do you think that's done some irreparable harm to their relationship? <laughs> Could you imagine, like, you've gone through that and then you're like, you see it on Twitter and you're like, oh God, thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot for that. <laughs> um, what, did, what did you uh, make of uh, Lukaku's performance? It was a mixed bag, wasn't it, Lukaku? Like, scoring after 82 seconds is, is pretty good and kind of set the whole um, game up in a way. And I think what was really disappointing was from there, not, his um, performance, but it felt like Inter maybe slipped into some complacency. I thought Lecce played really well, by the way. Maybe we should talk about some mm. of the players like Gilman, who played brilliantly in midfield, really sort of took the game to Inter. But Lukaku did miss a couple of chances as well, which is why I say it was a mixed performance. Inter, at one all, Inter missed a couple of chances to win the game, and, and Lukaku definitely had a couple of those chances. Lecce could also have won the game. It was one brilliant save from Handanovic, which is not a thing I feel like I said that much last season, off a free kick uh, that was deflected on the way through. I, I think it was a mixed bag from Lukaku. I think the team overall didn't feel like it was quite joined up yet. But in the same way that I think I said with Milan, you've got to give some some leniency for the first day of the season. I can still say that about Inter. I was surprised by a lot of Inzaghi's team selection, actually, because... 
I guess he went with um, Gerson's on the left uh, wing back and therefore Darmian at right wing back, which I felt to me like trying to achieve some balance because I think if you put Dumfries as a starter on the other side, you've got two very attacking wing backs. Um, but then leaving Bastoni out of the starting 11 as well. Yeah, there were some, there were some choices that, that, that caught me off guard. They obviously, uh, um, I guess, came, uh, came together in the end and Dumfries came off the bench and, and, and scored that goal. And, and Mina, I'm, I'm really curious to get your reaction because I think you, I think you're not the biggest Lukaku fan. You can tell me I'm wrong, but did you see how, cause after Dumfries' winner, everyone runs off to celebrate with Dumfries except Lukaku. And at first I was like, why is he going the other way? And to be fair to Lukaku, he's actually the only one who heads towards the Inter fans. He heads towards the corner where all the Inter fans are. But it was a very ostentatious, like pumping of fists, goes down to his knees, he's thumping the floor. And I know it went down well with a lot of the Inter fans. There was a little part of me that thought, it's a little bit cynical. It's a little bit like <laughs> showing too much how much you care to, to remind them that you're the guy that they that, that still loves them after being away. I, I'm just somebody who's a fan of authenticity and I don't like a lot of like desire to show that you love what you love and you the place of your heart and and he sort of forgets a lot of what he says right because when he left at the time to Chelsea he he said okay about all the dreams and stuff but he also blamed Inter for not giving him what they wanted and then you know then comes back and talks you know talks about now he's back to his like heart, forgets about Chelsea. If he'll have another chance, I think he'll probably be able to begin with some Chelsea fans one day as well. I just, he's just, I, I never feel he's very authentic in the way he behaves, but he's, everyone speaks very highly of him, all the players do. And, and, and like, this is not an, any, a dig about who he is as a person. But to me, a lot of it just seems a lot of acting when it comes to the fans and the drama of football. And he sort of plays up to that. And and also this anger that he has to prove that he's a world-class striker. And I maybe he will be a world-class, world-class striker. I certainly think he's a very good one and he showed that in Inter. But is he world-class? To me, he has never been that. So maybe he can still, he still has an opportunity to do that. But he's certainly a very good striker, and I think he showed that straight away. Um, and I do think that he's a huge advantage for Inter. But there's just so much about his character that it just rubs me the wrong way, and I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know why. You know, like it's a little bit like a Dybala thing. You know, it just rubs me the wrong way. But even with Dybala, at least I feel like when he cries, it's genuine tears. And I and I just feel with Lukaku, I'm not really sure how much of it is is genuine or. Or not? But. I, I, I think it's complicated because, like, I, I, I actually like. I remember really sort of like feeling like when they won the league, and he had that sort of that reaction of going out and sort of standing out the, the sunroof of his car, and someone was driving around. I thought that was one of the most genuine sort of connections I've seen a top level footballer have with their audience. Because a lot of the time, when we see footballers go and and win you know, the Premier League, Serie A, La Liga, Bundesliga, they're so separate from fans, right? It's, it's celebrated on the pitch that we can all join sort of by watching it, but you're, you're definitely very aware that you're spectating something. Whereas that felt like a real sort of like, no, I'm, I'm going out into this, which he's not the only player ever to have done that, but, but it's not that common. And I, I, I thought that was really authentic. This, I don't know, like maybe I'm being too cynical now because there was something about the sort of... Maybe I've rubbed off on you. <laughs> 
there was just something about the fact that everyone else, like all his teammates are off celebrating somewhere else and he's doing this thing right in front of his hands. Like, well, don't your teammates matter as well? But do you know what? Like, I also can understand from his point of view, I'm sure he does feel, I think there's sincerity in that he probably feels like maybe I, I blew a good thing here, right? Like the fans loved me and they did love him. And, and I went away and I needed to like make that bit of extra effort to remind them that we can be great together. And like, I would get that as well. I probably would be overcompensating in his position as well, frankly. So I shut up about it. But anyway, he, he looked. Can I just make a point? Sorry, just, just one thing. Um, when I think of players who really love their team, I I think of Giorgio Collini and Juventus. I think of Javier Zanetti and Inter. Um, and I think of Sandro Tonani and Mina. And somebody who just doesn't care about how he's viewed. He just wants to stay there. He just wants to play there. I feel like Barella is just so desperate to play for him. So he just doesn't care about anything else. You know, he wants to be there. He's so happy to be there. And my, my, and I feel like it's about the club. It is about who they represent to them as people. You know, what Juventus means to Chiellini, what Barella feels about Inter, the, the, this, that special bond that he has for the team that he supported as a child. For example, Tonali, who's like, I don't care what happens. I'm staying here for the for love or no money. I don't care. But for me, what Lukaku loves about Inter is that he did well there and he was praised for it. So the bond there is more about his brilliance and how well he did than it is about Inter as a club and what, obviously they loved him because he was good there. Had he been bad there, would he have shared that bond? I don't think so. So it's not about Inter, it's about what he did as a player there and how much he received in, in, in glory from that. Had he received that glory from Salernitana, then I think it would have been the same. Whereas that's what I feel is different in authenticity when you love a club because it's about the club and not about what they gave you. But obviously both are still valid. You can still love a club because of what you achieved there, you know. But for me, it's, it's just different to how I feel like when I think of Barella and Inter or Tonali and Milan or so on and so forth. Bonucci mm-hmm. and Juventus, it's not, it's not authentic. I don't feel that, you know. But I do with Chiellini. It's just that kind of thing. I understand that. And I, and I think the, the greatest way you can show fans that you care about them is truthfully, like the way that fans will feel it is just don't leave, which is what Kilini did, which is, I mean, it has in the end, but it's what Zanetti did. If you stay somewhere long enough, fans will, will appreciate you for it. Or Dries Mertens not choosing Juventus. Yeah. In terms of the actual on-pitch stuff, look, his performance wasn't perfect. Uh, the connection with Lautaro definitely wasn't like as seamless, oh, we're back and it'll all work. I thought Inter's tactics in the second half were a little bit desperate. Um, it was like, let's throw on Dzeko and Correa and Mkhitaryan and have them with Lautaro and Lukaku. It was just like, let's throw everything at the wall and see if something sticks. Um, when in fact, the thing that sticks was sort of sticking even before Dumfries scores the goal was actually Dumfries on, on the wing that, that I thought made the biggest sort of difference or their plays seemed to go down him. But Having said all that, do I still think that Lukaku being there makes Inter better? Yes, I do. I think he'll score a lot of goals. And I think if he scores a goal a game, which is where he is after one game, not really suggesting that's a measure, but you know, he, he did score close to a goal a game in his last season, Italy, then they'll be very, very happy and it will make a big difference to Inter's title chances. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think that he he makes a huge difference. But I do think one absence that I particularly noted was the absence of Perisic. I mean, Gosens is a good mm. player, don't get me wrong, but he is, and very few people are of the intellect of, of Perisic, you know, and his ability to just knit everything together and produce so much out on the wing on, on the left-hand side is something that I think was really missing there. I understand the tactics about moving the ball really quickly with DiMarco being used there. And, and it's about, you know, 
it sort of topples over and they try to stretch the pitch as much as possible so you can have runners going in and, and Lukaku and, and, and Lautaro Martinez have more space. But it sort of didn't work. And I and I don't expect it to because I think it takes time for that kind of... I do think Inzaghi's tactics can be sophisticated, so they do take time, I guess, to really be interpreted well by everyone um, that he has there. And it's a big squad and he needs to make sure that all of them feel wanted and, and desired. And like you said, it's Dumfries and Damien. Damien had a great first half. I mean, he's the one who delivered the assist, but then Dumfries made the difference, you know. Then you've got Bastoni. How can you ever leave out Bastoni, right? Um, but then you, you sort of look at Di Marco and what he can provide. And it's it's very complicated to make it all work. So I know it's going to take a little bit of time. Defensively, this is still a side, though, that makes me shake a little bit. De Vrij is just really not the player that he once was, you know. And I think it's so important that you hold on to Skriniar because otherwise I am super worried about that defense, you know. Um, the midfield didn't really take off for me either. You mentioned, uh, sorry, the wonderful Lecce. I always struggle to... Hummel. Hillman. 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 Yeah. Like it was, I really felt like it was him against like 50 people. <laughs> and he was just, you know, batting them off and doing everything he can. Whereas when you look at Inter and the level of quality they have with the likes of Brozovic, you and Chanaloglu, and you expect a little bit more perhaps, but they hadn't really taken off. I expect them to get better. They're always the team that get better slowly. Um, but I just thought Lecce, no, I don't agree when people said they played dirty. I think they did everything they did. I thought Asan Cisse was exceptionally good in getting the goal. Mm-hmm. And I'm really actually excited to see them because I think I thought of them as being ugh, so easily going to be demoted yet again. But actually, if they play like this, considering how many rookies they have on that pitch, how many people never played in Serie A, and that their transfer market's not over, maybe they're a team to watch going forward. Yeah, seven players in that team um, playing their first ever Serie A game. Hillman, we've talked about. Cisse, you just talked about. I thought Strefezza on the right was this sort of chaotic. Um, not, um, I don't think he's, he's sort of special or anything, but he was this chaotic but dangerous presence on the right as well. They were they were more competitive than than I thought they would be, and I think actually, um, funnily enough, Monza are going to be the team that everyone talks about. They've had the most of um, high highest of like, visibility summer, and not just because it's Berlusconi and Galliani, because of some, some of the players they've signed, but you know we'll get to Clemonese as well. I think actually all of the newly promoted teams acquitted themselves well, and actually probably um, all of them better than the Monza did. So. Um, well, Monza being, as in Cremonese and Legend did even better than Monza did. So all of these teams might be more competitive than we thought, which is nice. I hope it will be that way. Yeah, maybe it'll be Monza that is the first to be relegated and they're the ones that we believed in the most. Let's talk about Roma. I, I would have loved to have seen how they Inter would have played with Dybala last night. I mean, sorry, on Saturday night, rather. Lulala. But uh, <laughs> so but uh, <laughs> he decided to <laughs> to join the Fab Four, and this was this was a strange game. Also, you know what it was. What I found really interesting is the reaction to this match from Twitter, from social media, from the newspapers. You know, like Corriere called him the master of the scene. Um, Gazetta had so many words for Dybala about you know the beauty of his touch and his passing. But it's really, I don't know, when I looked at that match, other than the fact that none of them could seem to really score a goal, yeah, I mean, they were all very good at, at, at producing the beauty, but not really at finishing. 
But Zaniolo was the player who stood out for me. He was the one who was giving me the ball, charges forward, dribbles forward, looks for the for the spaces, you know, looks for his partners, always going forward, always with the intent to attack and create space and take on defenders and, and cause trouble. But it's always Dybala that we speak about, even if he had a good game. But I, I mean, for me, it was Zaniolo deserved the whole headline, even if he can't finish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this game should have been three or four now like it, it the, I mean well maybe three or four one because in the end they did allow some chance as well but Roma were all over Salernitana it's one of the many games because the opening weekend we were like well I'm not sure how to judge it I mean Salernitana were, were bad for a lot of last season then they sort of did their um, escape and everything but um I thought Roma were, were impressive Roma Roma took on the game that were in front, was in front of them Zaniola was absolutely the star of the show. Like you said, his running, his directness, his getting in behind the defence repeatedly, really, really um, sort of uh, exciting and, and fun to watch. That was one of my questions with this Roma team, actually. You know, you've got all of these exciting stars that we're all curious about. Does Zaniola and Dybala like, and Tammy Abraham, does that work? How does it work? Pellegrini in the mix. And the sort of fear in your mind is, well, it's still Mourinho. Is Mourinho going to somehow take all of this and then just camp it on front of his penalty area and be boring? And they weren't. They were fun. They they played they played interesting football. They they played um, uh, direct attacking football. Maybe that's just because they were playing Salernitana, but it was it was entertaining to watch. I thought they were good. I mean, I also sort of I, I mean I don't want to sort of skip over the match too quickly, but I do want to talk about Mourinho as well because he's already. I mean, him and Sadi actually both are already on form and sort of gearing us up for their derby in not too long. But Mourinho sort of responding to people like me saying a dark horse for the title. I mean, he wasn't saying it to me, but it was brought up in a press conference for this game. Oh, could you be a contender for the Scudetto? Like people are saying, saying only if there are eighteen Scudetti to be handed out. Because the only two teams who have spent less than us this summer is Sampen, I think it was Sampen Lecce, which is such a Mourinho line. Cause like, yes, okay, sure, Jose, like you didn't spend transfer fees, but Dybala's getting more in this year's salary than, than the entire transfer budget you spent this summer. So a little bit of, of misleading stuff from Mourinho, but look, I, I've said what I've said, Mina, they're my dark horse. They didn't discourage me this weekend to believe that they could be there first. They're dark, a dark horse. I, and I agree with you. Zaniola was, was really, really fun to watch this weekend. And that's exciting because last season he was very much kept in the sort of work in progress box and with Mourinho as well, being one of the ones most insistent that we shouldn't get too carried away with him. Intellectual prostitution. Wasn't that his words? <laughs> well, he said that before. Did he say it this time? Well, isn't that his phrase? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I am accusing him of intellectual prostitution. How dare you talk about your transfer fees that you didn't spend any money? Honey, Real Madrid won the Champions League and Crystal Palace has, scored, has spent more money in them in the last seven years. In fact, I can name about 10 or 15 different clubs in the Premier League that I've outspent Real Madrid. Honey, you've been in the top four of the <laughs> highest wage bills in Serie A for so long. Last year you were fifth, but only outdone by Milan, who's paid eight million more, and they won the freaking title. 
Lazio, who scored, who actually paid far less in wages, did pretty much the same with you when it came to Serie A. But you know what? You won the Conference League because you spent 90 million on the transfer market last season. And you know what? It's accumulated. We don't just consider one season. Let's not, you know, let's not forget how much you spent already in the winter transfer market, dear Jose Mourinho. So don't talk to me about Lecce <laughs> spending less than you. This is intellectual prostitution. It is unbelievable that he had the gall to actually say that. And you know what I think is interesting is how nobody responds to it. Like everyone's just like, all right, okay, well, you know, yeah, he's right. Like nobody spent anything. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. And I'm just thinking, I mean, you just talk Ronaldo. You're paying half his salary, which is already nearly five million. Then you've got Dybala for six million. You know, you, you think all this, what's all free? How much is your own salary? You're one of the highest paid. Do you think salary's being paid as much? Oh, dear Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Sweetie, if you don't finish in the top four, you are absolutely a failure with this squad. And I'm sorry, but it must be said, like with what they have now, with the players that they have now, with who he is and his reputation as a great tactician, then, or at least a great manager, then they have to finish top four. Or at least really challenge for it. Because I am sorry, but I look around and their squad is better to me than Napoli's one right now. So... They should be they should be looking to do that. And yes, Zaniolo is the hero. And my God, please do not sell him to Spurs. I am telling you, you cannot bring in a guy who's 28, about to turn 29, put all your eggs into that basket when you have a kid who belongs to you and can play the kind of direct and brilliance on the ball that Zaniolo has. That's the guy to invest in, not not all the others. That's the guy to invest in. And I really hope they do. Well, the hero was actually Chris Sante because he's the one who actually bloody put the ball in the net. But good choice to play him though of a match. I thought that was. I thought his choices actually in subs were far better. Like a, both he and, and Inzaghi got a lot of credit for their choices. Inzaghi, to me, I agree with you, seemed a lot more panicked in his choices. Like, like let's just throw on everyone we can. But actually, I I quite liked what Mourinho did, except the part where he said, "Well, I need Belotti, so I should," you know. It's of course because you always need more signings and I don't know what Belotti changes. But Personally, I'm just very, very happy that it's week one of the season and I've already managed with that Mourinho quote to get the first good Mina <laughs> rant out. I drew, I drew it. I, I drew it. You know, like sometimes footballers draw a foul. I was like, if I just drop this in front of Mina, maybe she'll pick it up. <laughs> oh, is that what you did? You were hoping it would be Dybala. <laughs> but it ended up being Mourinho. <laughs> you never know. You never, never know. Um, in other games, were you surprised by Cremonese as well? What was that? <laughs> it was such a weird game, wasn't it? Because Fiorentina, a 2-1 up and a man up at halftime. You think, okay, this is done. But like, I don't need to. We're all multi-screening. It's the start of the season. You're trying to like flip between games. You think, I don't need to give this one my full attention in the second half. Maybe I'll be like, watching um, Lazio a bit more. And then they sort of just got progressively worse. On the Fiorentina side of it, um, some encouragement for sure in the fact that Luka Jovic scored. I thought it was a very Luka Jovic, like good Luka Jovic goal, like the sort of goal that he used to score and and that sort of effectiveness inside the box and, and a, a smartly taken turn. And it just felt like such good vibes in that moment for Fiorentina. Like, great, our new signing's doing his thing. We're going to beat this newly promoted team. But Cremonese were great. Um, I, I was really interested uh, even before the season. I don't know if I would have said, well, I didn't say that, like, uh, that I thought, oh, they're, you know, 
got great chance to stay up or anything like that. But the combination up front of, of Dessers, who was uh, the top scorer in the in the conference league last season, Zero Dessers, and Okareki is has been like intriguing, right? Like I wanted to see what that would do. And Okareki ends up um scoring at the weekend. I thought the pair of them both at times looked like dangerous. The whole team um just yeah, created chances, kept going forward, even on 10 men, they kept sort of carving out those opportunities and it was a really impressive performance from from Camenezo on on ten men, and just the worst possible way it could end for them, and specifically the worst possible way it could end for poor Yonat Radu, who actually had quite a good game for ninety four minutes, I thought, and then, well, I know, in the sort of con- direct continuation of the last time we all saw him against Bologna, where he surrendered control of the, the title race for him. I mean, that's literally what happened. He, his blunder cost him to control of the title race. Another blunder to cost his team the points because he just dropped the ball under his own crossbar, which, I mean, heartbreaking. It should be said that if it wasn't for talking about that, you could have had a big conversation about Galini at the other end and his blunder on, on the second goal um, for Cremonese. But exactly, it's the last one that gets talked about the most, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in other news, Atalanta got back to scoring ways and they managed to defeat Sampdoria. Not hard to do when Jeb Powell is on the bench. Um, and of course, there is Monza that I did expect a little bit more of, but I'm particularly impressed by Torino. I think it's worth mentioning that Moranchuk, who they did buy from Atalanta and Radonjic behind Sanabria, was such a fascinating attacking trident. And I'm interested to see how that all works together going forward because, you know, Belotti is probably heading to Roma. Also, Samuele Ricci. I, I really want this guy to do well. I think he's he could be an important player for the Italian national team and I need him to progress pretty quickly because he looked very good for Empoli and then obviously sold to Torino and then Aslani went to Inter who, who's, who was his backup so I need mm-hmm. Ricci to do well as well so it was important for me to watch that match and I thought Torino was pretty impressive especially because they tend to struggle away from home so it was good for that do you have any other anyone else stand out to you any other well, you I, want I to just, mention you know, do you, I- I think you're showing your typical anti-Lazio bias, Mina, by not talking about Giro Immobile scoring again to start the new season. (laughs) It is, it is, it is. It is totally my anti-Lazio bias. (laughs) But no, I mean, I actually like, when it comes to Lazio, almost the thing that I enjoy the most is is not even um, the football, but I did enjoy, because we were talking about Mourinho and what he said before, that Sarri has already started the sort of, the, the, the local <laughs> jabbing because he said he said with a team like Roma's I'd be disappointed to finish second so Sarri is already sort of upping the ante on Mourinho I'm, I'm I, I think I said earlier in the show it was a, a few weeks actually it's 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 a little bit longer I thought to the the Rome derby it's November I, I got that wrong but still I, I like the idea of that just sort of bubbling up and giving us a little bit of, of time to get those two um yeah engaging in what we used to call mind games I don't know what we call it now but winding each other up a bit hopefully yeah and uh, meanwhile Arnautovic who when asked about United said not bothered <laughs> if he doesn't do <laughs> um, <laughs> scored the penalty for Bologna so I was kind of thrilled for him because I hope he scores like 20 goals this season um, as they enjoy the, the beauty of Rabiot's play <laughs> oh let it just go through there's one thing we have to say about the game which I can't believe I forgot 
um, but talking about sort of spectacular introductions to Serie A, Luis Maximiano, the goalkeeper, after six minutes into his Lazio career, getting sent off for handing outside the box. Um, what a way to introduce yourself to the to the uh, new team and uh, and to get your time started there. Quite, it's quite a lot of blunders from the goalkeepers, yeah. really, you know. And then when you, it is really bad. I mean, in my head, I was thinking, God, what can we look for tonight, you know, between Verona, Napoli and, and Juventus and Sassuolo? And I'm thinking, well, Chesney's not there, but Perrin, <laughs> oh, anyway, this should be exciting. Uh, let's see who plays in golf for Napoli. I'm really actually excited to watch these two teams. So let's see what happens. I wish we could have uh, watched them and talked about it today. Unfortunately, guys, we do have to go behind the paywall. Um, we've explained that, you know, uh, we do have more than just me and Nikki that do this show. We have a wonderful producer as well who puts this all together. And sadly, we have to go behind a paywall to make this feasible and sustainable. This will be the last episode that we will air for free. We just wanted to share with you one last time just how much fun we both are <laughs> when we're on together and just... Uh, being able to dissect all the games and making fun of, of different uh, coaches and different teams and enjoying the beauty of the play of Serie A. And people are excited about Tuchel and Conte. This is every day in Serie A, you know? Um, but uh, also we want to just do a shout out to some of our Chronicles Tifosi who've signed up. So thank you so much. I'll read out a few names and then Nikki, you're going to have to help me out as well. No problem. The first is a welcome to Giuseppe Ciano, Frank Risotto, who's the host of the Gentleman Ultra podcast. So please do go and check that out. Okay, this one's going to be hard for me. Message, Kawiatowski. I hope I said that right. If I didn't, then you know what? Come back at me because I deserve it. Beshan Sarsenbayev. I think I'm going to hand over to you, Nikki. <laughs> you you took on some of the, the the trickier pronunciations there, Mina. So I think that's that's fair. Thank you also to James Sifakis, to Desmond. We love a one name, uh, just Desmond, and also yeah. just Rob. Thank you, Rob, as well for your messages on Instagram. Rory Robinson and Rosalind Armitage. Um, just to sort of add on to what Mina was saying before about the patron paywall, because someone did sort of raise it in my, my Guardian comment section this week. I really can't stress enough, like from our point of view, this wasn't the choice we wanted to make. This is a choice we really fought pretty hard last season to try not to make. Um, and still, if someone were to magically show up at, at some point and say, here's a sponsorship package that could keep you free to air this season, of course we would do that. We would prefer to do that. The reality is that making a podcast is not a cost zero exercise. Like again, as Mina's mentioned, we have a producer, we have hosting fees, there's, there's things that go into it. And we are also professionals who need to, to, to think about our time as well. So I am gutted, honestly gutted to, 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 at the thought that we're going to be closing off people who we understand not everyone can afford to do, to do things. I, I get that. I have subscriptions every month. I have to weigh up what I can afford and what I can't. If something comes along that lets us change this, we would. It's just the reality where we are at the moment. We had 40,000 downloads a month last season, which is pretty strong, but we, we didn't manage to get a sponsor to support us uh, financially. So that's why we're having to ask if people can do it directly. But yes, if you are sat listening to this and thinking, well, my big company could pay for it, then get your big company to drop us a line and, and talk because that yes. conversation can happen. So with all that being said, 
If you are so inclined to uh, come join our Patreon Chronicles Defosi membership, you can do that at cityacchronicles.com forward slash Patreon. There's an option there to uh, get all the full episodes. And it won't just be these episodes that Mina and I record together. We'll be doing our, our little sound uh, sound voice notes that we did last season as well. So um, lots of content, hopefully, for you guys there. You can also leave us a one-time tip via Kofi. Uh, link again on the website, seriachronicles.com. You can find us on Twitter at Mina Rizuki and at Nikki Bandini. And you can follow Seria Chronicles on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And come join us on the Patreon next week. All right, guys. Until then, see you later. Bye. Ciao. Sports Social Podcast Network.